0: You know, one of the uh, the legacies of that, uh, Dr. Mike has carried on in our church is early on our first pastoral, or our first rather church planting resident, Greg Wilson, sort of started a cohort writing songs, original music for worship at Riverside and, of course, beyond. And when Greg left to to plant in England, uh, Michael continued that tradition, and 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 has done a number of songs here with m- multiple musicians, and so. I hope that is one of the aspects of, of your legacy, Michael, that will continue um, writing songs is what, it's what saints do. The church has always been a singing people, and it's because we have really good reasons to sing. And so with that said, I want to turn to a song. In the Gospel of Luke, if you would turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, to Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> We're going to look at two songs. We'll begin just by looking at the Song of Mary. And we'll begin for the sake of kind of some context to her song, verse 39 of Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Luke 1, verse 39. A bit of background here. there was a, a godly couple named Elizabeth and Zechariah. They were both of the line of Aaron, of a priestly class. Uh, Zechariah served in the temple, and when it was his time to serve, had a vision of the angel Gabriel, giving him good news that he would and his wife, who had been infertile and now were uh, past the age of having children, would have a son, who would be a great prophet. And uh, Zechariah found that hard to believe, Uh, and so um, he was quiet for a while. Uh, But here is Elizabeth in her sixth month pregnant, and Mary having also received visitation from Gabriel to receive even more incredible news that she would bear, though she was a virgin, a son, the Son of God. She goes and visits her cousin Mary. And here's, here's what we read. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, Couple questions. Just well, one question for our kids this morning: What's your favorite Christmas song? You can yell out one Christmas song. No, no favorites. "Joy to the World." The song of Emmanuel. I like that. Who else? All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. That's a good one. Hippopotamus for Christmas. Jingle bells. Yeah, and one more. Favorites. Deck the halls, hark the herald angels sing. These are great songs. Some of these songs are newer, but some of these songs that we sing are really old. Like older than your parents. (laughs) Really old songs. They go, back to like, they go back to like the 1800s. A lot of these songs like Silent Night or Little Town of Bethlehem or Oh Holy Night, these are old songs we've been singing for centuries. Some of them are even older than that. They go back, some songs like Oh Christmas Tree are like the 1600s, 1500s, 1400s. We've been singing Christmas songs for millennia. Here's here's the earliest known Christmas hymn. It's from the 4th century, or it's one of the earliest, written by uh, a famous saint, Ambrose, called Come Thou Redeemer of the Nations. But here's a couple of lines from it. Come Thou Redeemer of the earth, and manifest Thy virgin birth. O equal to the Father Thou, gird on Thy fleshly mantle now. The weakness of our mortal state with deathless might invigorate. Thy cradle here shall glitter bright. And darkness breathe a newer light, where endless faith shall shine serene and twilight never intervene. All praise eternal Son to Thee, whose advent sets Thy people free. Whom with the Father we adore, and Holy Ghost forevermore. We've been singing these old, old songs for a long time. And indeed it has been and will continue to be the greatest celebration on earth. All around the world we've sung these songs, and this morning the song that we're going to be considering here and Zechariah's song we might we might call the original Christmas songs, that go all the way back to the first century. And as we read and we rehearse and we remember and we sing these songs, it brings us into an old, old tradition, into an old, old story. Not only much older than we often think the Christmas story is, but much bigger than we often realize. You see, the celebration is so great because the news is so good. When Gabriel came to Zechariah, he said, This is good news, and many people will rejoice and have great joy and great gladness such that we give presents to each other. We're so happy we give presents away to others and we receive presents as a sign of that joy. And kids, as adults, sometimes, I have to admit to you, we sometimes can lose our Christmas joy. And as adults, we try desperately to reenter the Christmas joy that we remembered experiencing even as kids. And sometimes we can do that nostalgically by trying to remember our own childhood. But the key to Christmas joy isn't remembering our childhood, but His And going to his nativity, remembering the eternal God who was born in the manger for us and for our salvation. And so I want to pray for us and pray for your time as you prepare to reflect on some of these things in your class. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the kindness and grace and mercy of your good gift in Jesus. Help us remember it now. Help us to rehearse it, to recite it. Help us to sing it. Lord, open our hearts to the great joy of your good news in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. At this time, Children's Church is dismissed as well as Crossroads. And as our kids are making their way there into their their classes, I want you to jump with me to verse 67. We're going to consider... Well, actually, before we do that, I want to reflect further on Mary's song. Look again at verses 50 through 55 of Mary's song. This is sort of midway through Mary's song. She sings, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This is a a song that carries through the generations, not just in Mary's day, but before Mary. He has shown strength with his arm. He has shattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from thrones, exalted those who are humble. He's filled the hungry with good. He's sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This, this song of Mary is a bit of a remix. A redux of songs sung by psalmists and poets and prayers and prophets long before her. There's a French Christmas carol. In English, we'd render it, He is born the heavenly child. But it has this line, Tis 4,000 years and more prophets have foretold this coming. Tis 4,000 years and more have we awaited this happy hour. Long before Mary, this song has been singing in the hearts of saints, waiting and waiting for the promised blessing of God. In fact, as many students of Luke's gospel point out, Mary is not singing this song from thin air. She didn't pull this out like a musical in a spontaneous moment. This is very much a remix of the song or prayer of Hannah, the mother of Samuel, another woman who was maybe very forgettable in the ancient world, very easily overlooked, and she was overlooked, even by her own family, and misunderstood, but the Lord saw her, and the Lord blessed her and answered her prayer, and in response, she gave Samuel to serve in the temple at Shiloh. And in, in commemorating him, she praised this prayer. I'm just going to read some snippets of it, but see if it doesn't sound familiar. My heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Mary here knows Hannah's prayer. She's imbibed it deeply. She has searched her scriptures Because Mary herself is a woman in a backwater town, in a forgotten part of the Roman Empire. She was easily overlookable, easily invisible, but God saw her. And she searched his scriptures, looking for hope, looking for promise, longing. She drank deeply of God's word. And when she sang, she sang richly. She set her mind and heart on the great and gracious heart of her God. Interestingly, the song of Hannah ends perplexingly with a reference to the king. There's no king in Israel. There's no king. Hannah becomes the first witness to David's throne in the book of Samuel. She ends with this. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. What king? And he will exalt the horn of his Messiah. Hannah bears witness to the Messiah. Zechariah's song picks up the theme of of Hannah's prayer, of this horn being exalted. Look with me. Zechariah's response as his tongue's finally loosed, with the birth of his son, and he names him rightly John, though no one has that name in their family. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 67, just like Elizabeth was. And he prophesies, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, Isaiah, Micah, as we'll see, Malachi, and Hannah. That we should be safe from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, speaking now to little John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, Isaiah 40, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Again, Zechariah, as a priest, was a student of Scripture, and here reflects pure Scripture in his song. Most strikingly, the prophecy of Malachi, it's on the screen, but you can see where he gets a lot of his language from the last prophet in our Old Testament, For you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out, leaping like calves from the stall. Verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers. This language we sing in our Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Sing. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Zechariah sings of this coming Elijah, his son, in the spirit of Elijah. How did he know? Zechariah, did you know? He knew. <laughs> How did he know? Gabriel told him. In, Ga- in Luke chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, you don't have to turn there, but you can. As Gabriel's telling him about this miraculous son that's going to be given to him and his wife in their old age, he says he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He'll be a Nazarite, much like Samson was when the angel visited Samson's parents and told them the same thing. who John was going to be. This is part of this old, old song, this old, old story, this big, big story. And you see how big the compass of redemption is in these two songs. On the one hand, it is certainly spiritual, like Christian Markle reminded us a couple weeks ago. It's not just a political redemption that the prophets predicted, but a full spiritual redemption. And we see that, and he do proclaims here in verses 77 and following the forgiveness of sins that's going to be given to his people, that they will be restored to true worship, to worship the Lord in righteousness and uprightness. It's, the language here is very much uh, taken from Micah's uh, prophecy, Micah chapter 7, that's also on the screen. Micah prophesies, these are the last two verses of Micah, what a way to end. He will again have compassion on us. Yahweh will have compassion on Israel. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins in the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Our sins will no longer divide us from God's benevolent purposes. They will no longer be a barrier between God and us, between God and his promises, or between us and his promises. Rather, according to his benevolent promises, our sins will be utterly forgotten, cast into the depths of the sea, so that now we can serve God with a clear conscience, not because we finally reformed ourselves and got all of our acts together. Because he simply cast our sins into the depths of the sea and forgot them. That's really good news. That's a reason to sing. My sins have been utterly forgotten by my God. But it's even bigger than that. We as Christians have had a tendency historically to spiritualize the promises of God and to turn them into, into invisible realities. They're spiritual, not physical. They're We we blame Israel for longing for a political Messiah who's going to conquer their enemies. But what does Zechariah sing about under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Lord, save us from the hands of our enemies. You're doing it. You're going to do it. And indeed, he is. This salvation is political and social as well as spiritual. Spiritual. It was the promise that was given to David. When God made his covenant to David in 2 Samuel 7, he said, David, I have been with you your whole life. I have have saved you from the hand of your enemies. And I'm going to appoint a place for my people Israel and I'm going to plant them so they won't be disturbed and no longer will violent men afflict them as they did in the days of the judges. You're going to give my people rest. Rest from all your enemies, he said. This is part of the promise of Messiah. I mean, Mary's song sounds like she's talking a lot about social and economic justice. Doesn't it? She talks about class upheaval. Verse 52, you have brought down the mighty from their thrones. You exalted those of humble estate. That doesn't mean people just have humble hearts. That means the poor, the oppressed. They're going to be lifted up, she says, here echoing Hannah's prayer. There's going to be economic upheaval. The rich are going to be sent away hungry, and the hungry are going to be satisfied. We know this. It's in our Christmas songs, O Holy Night. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression will cease. That song came out in the 1860s, I believe. It wasn't fondly received in the South like it was in the North. I wonder why. Jesus' salvation is much bigger than merely spiritual. It is the liberation of the oppressed as well. It is for the making Right, what is wrong in our world. As we'll sing in a moment, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow to the confines of the walls of this church. No. As far as, sing it out. As far as the curse is found. And every nook and cranny of this cursed earth will be filled with blessings. That's how big it is. It is a big, big story. It's really good news. Christ's crucifixion wasn't an overlooking of worldly powers, still less an unfortunate crashing up against them in his good-intentioned, if naive, spiritual revolution. No, when Jesus was arraigned before the Sanhedrin or before the court of Pilate, it wasn't finally Christ who was on trial. It was them and they were found guilty. Christ's crucifixion was the devastating judgment and divestment of the world's authority, as Paul wrote of God's wisdom revealed in Christ. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, of course, they did, and so ironically accomplished the divine plan of redemption. With Christ... Now exalted above all earthly powers, reigning supreme over every nation, every king, every governor, every dictator, every president, bringing his rule to bear, not through domination and control, but through the gentle mission of the peaceful church, patiently in love and in suffering like their Savior, declaring good news for all peoples everywhere. That's what we're doing. And so, my friends, it is our great privilege and task now to joyfully, patiently, and with great hope, bear gentle but bold witness to all earthly powers that Jesus is Lord. He makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. They will prove his righteousness by tasting and seeing that the Lord is good through our gospel. They will prove it also in opposing it and suppressing it and persecuting its witnesses, revealing their hearts and vindicating God's justice. They prove God is good and God is true even when they silence the powerless, when they attempt to erase the meek from the earth and make the vulnerable disappear. But God sees, God remembers, and God will restore his faithful. Just like when Rome ran over Christ and found themselves conquered by him. And on that note, there are no small characters in this story. Mary was this invisible character. We would have never known anything of, of Mary were it not for the fact that, as the angel Gabriel says twice, she was favored by God. He saw her, favored her, and chose her. I mean, what an incredible turnaround for Mary in her position. Verses 46 through 48, she sings how her soul magnifies the Lord. Her spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He looked on my humble estate. I was a nobody in, in the world's accounting. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Indeed, they have and will continue to do so. Young Mary was ideally suited to declare these praises of Israel's hope. Mary was a microcosm of faithful Israel, small, forgotten, overlooked, but favored in God's eyes and chosen by him, his servant. And so she now bears witness. Luke's Gospels sort of it's been noted as the first witnesses to Jesus, the first born witnesses to Jesus. Unborn John bears his own witness. The first born witnesses are women. And the first witnesses to his resurrection are women. And this is what God has, does to reveal his glory, his goodness. And her great joy is the fact that she has been chosen and loved and honored in this way. It's, it's a striking picture when, I, when Mary comes into the house of Zechariah The way honor systems worked back then, Mary would rightly greet Elizabeth, because Elizabeth was the, she was older, she was of the priestly class, and Mary was more of this sort of peasant from a no-name Nazareth town. So for her to come, and she rightly greets Elizabeth and would bless her. But what happens is Elizabeth ends up honoring Mary instead, doesn't she? Twice why she says, as soon as I heard the, your greetings, my baby leapt for joy. What, what honor have I done that I deserve that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And she blesses her. Blessed are you, Mary, among all women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. This is what the Lord does. He honors the humble. And he humbles sometimes the honored. On the on the screen is a is a picture I've showed you guys a couple of years ago. It's a print I have in my office. I keep it up year round because it's one of my favorite pictures from the scriptures. And uh, it's that's a that's Elizabeth uh, with her head, you know, jacked up in just pure laughter. Uh, and that's that's Mary who also knows that she's pregnant, and they're just laughing with joy. I want to note that though Luke's gospel feels like at first like a musical, everybody's breaking out into singing, you know, I want you to know Mary and Elizabeth were not sort of walking around like we do in musicals with a permagrant on. Life was not easy for Elizabeth. We know in chapter one that she says when she finds out she's pregnant, the Lord has removed my reproach among the people. Because though she was a righteous woman, because of her infertility, a shadow of shame hung over her. Why had the Lord not blessed her? What was wrong with her? What did she do wrong? The Lord vindicates her in her day. She carried that shame her whole adult life and married to Zechariah. These were not people who had the easiest of lives. I've, I've quoted this before as well, but Ray Ortland has said a couple of times, history is the story of tired people doing hard things. Elizabeth and Mary were tired people doing hard things. It's just called adulting, isn't it? <laughs> tired people doing hard things is the human experience. But what's, that's ordinary. There's nothing short about tired people doing hard things. What's extraordinary is tired people doing hard things rejoicing. The weary world rejoices. And they are rejoicing because of the greatness of this news. This joy isn't just for the weary, my friends, it's for the discouraged and for the disappointed and the grieving. Y'all, one of one Christmas song we don't sing a lot is I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. You guys are familiar with that one? It was penned by a great American poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. In 1863, he penned, he penned it after he was an abolitionist and his son, for the cause, went and joined the Union Army and he got shot. And the bullet hit his spinal cord. And it, The news was much worse than it proved to be regarding, regarding his recovery. But when he learned that, he sat down and wrote this song on Christmas Day. And here's what he wrote. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. It's the middle of the Civil War. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. You ever feel that? Two Two years later, this poor man would lose his beloved wife. He dearly loved her her dress caught on fire, she burned to death. And he, trying to put it out, burned his own face, which is why whenever you see pictures of him, in his old age, he's got this long beard because he stopped shaving from the, from the injury. It, the grief was so shattering, he thought he would be institutionalized. Over the Rhine has a great little uh, little town of Bethlehem, Redux. And it goes like this. There is no peace in Bethlehem. There is no peace in sight. The wounds of generations almost too deep to heal scar the time-worn miracle and make it seem surreal. And Zechariah sings this hope of being freed from their enemies. John had this hope. But the same enemies, the Roman Empire, would crucify the Messiah They go on to persecute the early church for centuries. Where is this peace on earth? Where is this liberation? But the song that Longfellow wrote ends with this line, after there is no peace, there's no peace in Bethlehem, there's no peace in Jerusalem, there's certainly no peace in Gaza. It ends with this. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail. When peace on earth, with peace on earth, good will to men. What's the difference? He simply believed the good news. That's what... The highest praise Elizabeth can give to Mary is verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment what was spoken to her. Think of how unbelievable what Mary heard was. I mean, it was hard for Zechariah to believe that in his old age, he was going to have a son. But she's a virgin, right? That's, that's a far-fetched. You're going to have a kid, really? Really? You're going to be the queen mother of the ruler of heaven and earth. Really, me, in Nazareth. Mary's faith was remarkable. Who could believe that she, an absolute nobody in the world's accounting, would birth the Messiah? Who could believe it? She could. By the grace of God, she could. And by the grace of God, so can you. Believe, my friends. The news is really good, so good, it is true. Sing this good news and joyfully invite others into that joy and may the weary world with you rejoice. Let's continue to sing. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your good and kind promises to us in your Son. Help our hearts to receive with faith now this good news and to sing your praises. You are worthy. Your name.